0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: Because we love the brethren, and he who does not love his brother abides. In death literally going from death to life that can mean physically or spiritually literally or figuratively and we know that when we come to Christ we, we we're really coming from a place of death to life and this is one of the proof texts that we have passed from death that, uh, from death to life when we love each other when we love each other and you know we need to learn how to love and forgive and to receive forgiveness. How
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, John tells us that a love for the people of God is a basic sign of being born again. If this love is not evident in our lives, our salvation can be questioned. If it is present, it gives us assurance. We can know we have passed from death to life by our love for other Christians. The place of hatred, of jealousy, of bitterness you find yourself in, is a place of death. You need to pass from death over to life. Now let's join Pastor Rob in First John chapter 3, starting in verse 13.
1: Jesus is speaking on the night of his capture to the twelve, and this is immediately after they left the upper room, that last supper, and they're probably heading from the upper room down into the Kidron Valley up into Gethsemane. And one of the places we're going to go when we go to Israel is Gethsemane, and you'll see that if you're if you're going on the trip. We, we have a worship service over there. It's wonderful. But notice in verse 18, Jesus said to them, he says, if the world hates you, and it's the same word that's in our verse today in 1 John chapter 3, if the world hates you, if it detests you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Folks, remember that. It hated him before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now, you have to underline this because this is so amazing. The word love here is phileo. You know that the best um, Greek word for love is agape. That's self-sacrificing love. That's the love that God shows, that he demonstrates. But phileo love is a much baser love. It's, it's, a, it's a love, but it's a love between people. It's, it's like a friendly kind of thing. But notice what Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. The word love there is phileo. Because the world cannot love in agape. Only the children of God, you and I, can have any kind of love of agape in us. The world doesn't even know it exists. All they know is about eros. They, they know about sexual love. They know about brotherly love. But that's pretty much it. But when it comes to self-sacrificing benevolent love, they are clueless most of the time. So the world cannot agape. It phileos it it's just brotherly love. You know, it says in biology there are three different relationships that living organisms have with each other. There's mutualism. Here's a, a biology lesson for free. There's mutualism, there's commensalism, and parasitism. In the world lives really on the mutualism plane. And the idea of that is mutualism is where both parties benefit from each other and in, in, in their relationship with one another. Mutualism, mutually, they're benefited. Commensalism is where one benefits and the other one is not affected or is not affected but is not benefited. And then parasitism is when you actually have a parasite where the parasite benefits but you really do not benefit. The, the parasite actually hurts you, takes something away so you can see it. But in the world, it's just mutualism. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's what we call quid pro quo. That's what it is. You know, the world hates it when I wear my Jesus is God shirt. As I walk around Penfield, as I go to my place, wherever I go, or Jesus is Lord, they they hate those shirts. You know, the world hates it when we talk about Jesus. The world hates it when I share scriptures that speak against all sexual sin, all sexual sin. The world hates it when I tell them that God is pro-life. The world hates it when I share scriptures that speak against laziness and lack of self-control. Because it exposes our nature, doesn't it? It exposes the old nature. And you, don't be surprised. That's why Jesus said, don't be shocked if people don't like you. We have to have a thick skin, brothers and sisters. A thick skin, however, with love. A thick skin that's completely in love. That's a funny paradox, isn't it? Because usually when people get thick skin, they build up walls. It's sort of like this they've got this stiff their lip and they're just like, I'm not letting you in. And you've been around people like that, have you not? You try to get to know them and they're just a wall. You're like, good grief. What is going on? I can't break this wall between us. I know people like that. But see, we need to have a thick skin, but we also need to have that skin completely saturated by God's love to be willing to be taken advantage of if necessary but to love to tell the truth but to love he goes on in chapter uh, john chapter 15 and verse 20 he says remember the word that i said to you he said a servant is not greater than his master and if they persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will keep yours also but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me and if i had not come and spoken to them they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 23, He who hates me hates my Father also. He hates my Father also. In John chapter 17, in verse 14, Jesus In his high priestly prayer, you can just turn over a couple of pages and you'll see John 17 and verse 14. uh, Jesus said, I have given them, he's speaking to the Father now in the prayer, I have given them, his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And here's the verse. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Who is the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Absolutely. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your word. It's all synonymous. It all means the same thing. It's speaking about Jesus. It's speaking about his word. He is the physical word of God, but we also have the word of God. Does that make sense? He's the word of God. So... Sanctify them by your truth, by your word. He is the word, and this is the word of God as well. We are sanctified by Christ's blood on the cross for us, and we're sanctified by reading, aren't we? By washing ourselves daily in the word as we ought to do. That's so important for us to do. Let's go back into verse 14 in First John. He says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren and he who does not love his brother abides in death. Literally going from death to life, that can mean physically or spiritually. Literally or figuratively. And we know that when we come to Christ, we, we, we're really coming from a place of death to life. And this is one of the proof texts that we have passed from death, dead, uh, from death to life when we love each other. When we love each other. And, you know, we need to learn how to love and forgive and to receive forgiveness. Many people don't really know how to love. You know, I didn't know how to love until I became a Christian. When Jesus Christ came into my heart for the first time, I learned how I started my my class, Love 101. (laughs) And I started, and I'm still in that class. I'm advancing. I haven't got it right. I made a lot of mistakes, as we all do, don't we? But I want to grow in that love. I want to grow in the love that he demonstrated for me. I want to grow in that love. I want to be a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) No, you know, you don't we want to love? We want to love. We want to love as Jesus loved. And many people, they don't know how to love. All they've learned in their life is hate and suspicion. Many people don't even know how to forgive. It is a foreign concept. It's foreign to us. All they've learned is to hold a grudge, just to hold a grudge and be angry. And it is not until they have been forgiven and shown love and grace that they begin to do that as well, especially if they are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Then you have this capacity for the first time to love unconditionally, to love sacrificially, to be other-centered. Prior to that, it's all about you and I, isn't it? It's keep looking out for number one. That's all it is. But when we give our heart to Christ, all of a sudden we become aware of so much. It's, it's like we were walking around in black and white, and he just takes the we get the upgrade, and all of a sudden we see 64-bit color, bright, vibrant, thousands, millions of colors. And as we grow in His love, it just keeps unfolding. Don't be afraid of it. Let yourself be loved by God, especially if you don't feel like you deserve it. Let yourself be loved by God, and let yourself uh, forgive others. Forgive others, just as you've been forgiven. Didn't Jesus say that? If you don't forgive others, neither will I forgive you. Boy, does that hurt. It hurts. But verse 15, he goes, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer. In Matthew 5, verse 21, Jesus speaking, he said this. He said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is just a derogatory term, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell, hellfire. And verse 23 is where we, the rub hits. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Notice that the impetus is on the one who has been wronged, the one who knows that someone has wronged against them. You know, we can't force somebody to come to us and ask us for forgiveness for something that they've done, but we can go to them and initiate, can't we? And that's where we are free. And I think that's the Lord, too. They may not come to you. Maybe somebody's hurt you. Instead of waiting for decades, and people do this, there are some of you in this room today that have yet to forgive somebody. Something that happened 20 years ago. And in your heart, you're like, I am not going to forget. I'll never forget that. And every time you're around them around the holidays, you got this little bit of an edge and you've never forgiven them, maybe this season, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe this Christmas, it's time to bury the hatchet and say, you know what? You get together with that person and you say, you know what, you hurt me long ago and I've been holding it all this time and I am so sorry. You've wronged me, you hurt me deeply. You said this many years ago. I'm sorry that I'm bringing it up now, but I want to be reconciled to you. I don't like you right now. (laughs) I haven't liked you. But I want to love you by doing the right thing. I want, to, I want to do that, right? Isn't that what the Lord would have us do? That's hard to do, folks. It really is hard to do. But you got to do it. Leave your gift at the altar. If they've done something wrong and they haven't confessed it to you, you go to them and get it right. Get it right. Perhaps you'll win them. Perhaps things will be reconciled. Will things be the same as they were prior to the incident? Maybe not, but that's okay. Sometimes things are just different. There still may be some tension, but it's still, but you can forgive and there can be a, a growing experience. From that point onward, you can grow and you can learn to love and you can learn to trust again. It takes time. God doesn't, He knows your memory has still got that stuff in there, right? But you make the initiative. You make the effort to do the right thing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that what he said? That means he initiated it, didn't he? We didn't even come to him in our lost state and say, God, forgive me, I've sinned. No, he says, you guys weren't even aware of it. You were happy to cut each other's throat and live in sexual immorality. I came down and I invaded your world. (laughs) I invaded the world. I invaded your life. I'm so glad he did it with me. I'd like to show you something right now. Um, I wanted to show you last week, but there was a uh, a police officer. Her name was Amber Geiger. You've probably seen this on the Internet a lot, but I'm going to show it to you. It, it, last week I tried to, but it wasn't working. But to me, I, I watched this and I thought, this is love. This is love. And let me just give you the quick backstory. Amber Geiger is this police officer. She lives in an apartment. She's 30-something, young girl, blonde. She goes, she goes, she lives in an apartment and, you know, pretty much the apartments are kind of like this, you know, first floor, there's a room and then you take an elevator, the next floor, there's a, you know, it's all kind of cookie cutter kind of thing. And so she makes a mistake and goes into the wrong floor of her apartment building. She walks in, she sees an African American man there. This man named is Botham Jean. And from what I understand, he was a believer. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so he's sitting there eating ice cream, watching television. And she comes in thinking that it's her apartment not knowing that she was in the wrong apartment. She pulls out a gun. She shoots him, kills him. And then now, you know, she's like totally, you know, beside herself because she realized what she had done. And then her brother, uh, Brant Jean, um, I believe his name is, he takes the stand, and he's Amber's sitting at the the desk, and, and he's up there on the stand, and he's talking to her. And I'd like to share with you that video. I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you.
2: Today was an extraordinary day in a Dallas County courtroom
1: because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ.
2: The victim impact statement in the Amber Geiger trial was unprecedented.
1: I love you. As a person,
2: both of Jean's younger brother, Brant, gave an impact statement to amber Geiger.
1: And "I don't wish anything bad on you.
2: He surprised the judge and probably members of his family. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please please yes. All the deputies in the courtroom looked at each other, knowing that this was a major infraction of the security rules, and then they looked at Judge Kemp for guidance. She made a snap decision and said, go ahead, and so the hug happened. Instead of reacting with rage to the guilty verdict and sentence of 10 years, he pivoted and offered grace and kindness and forgiving. judge, already emotional from watching Brant hugging Amber Geiger, went to the family and spoke to them and offered them words of encouragement just out of earshot of the reporters nearby. The judge then turned and went to Amber Geiger herself. She bent down and spoke to her in her ear. We couldn't hear what she was saying at first, but then the judge walked away, went back into her chambers and returned less than a minute later with a small book in her hand. We quickly realized that it was a copy of the Bible. Then the judge and Amber hug each other. Amber tells something in the judge's ear that prompts the judge to say, Ma'am, it's not because I'm good, it's because I believe in Christ. The judge continues, I'm not so good. You haven't done so much that you can't be forgiven. The judge continues, you did something bad in one moment in time. What you do now matters. Then the judge urges Amber to take the Bible with her as the deputies escort her back to the holding cell for prisoners. At this point, lawyers and onlookers were all tearing up, getting emotional. I was tearing up. No one really could understand what was going on.
1: That to me was the greatest, one of the sweetest demonstrations of love I've ever seen. I remember watching it several times in my office and just weeping. You know, you think about that whole thing just crossed so many boundaries, so many taboos, so many politically incorrect things happened, all in one fell swoop. I mean, it was just amazing. I was so impressed with that young man on the stand offering forgiveness to Amber, and I was so impressed with the judge Knowing that, uh, you know, letting him come down and I, my mom was a bailiff in the Lee County Sheriff's Department for decades. That's a no-no. <laughs> he has every right to have, you know, some, you know, to hurt her physically. He had every motive to do it. And yet led by the spirit, the judge looked and she saw because she, being a Christian herself, knew God was showed up. God was in the room. He spoke. To both of them, and, and he wanted to go hug her, and he did. And then for the judge to face the certain backlash that she knew she would by going into her chambers and getting a Bible, seeing the moment, seeing the moment of for what it was, and knowing that God was in this moment, she went and she got a Bible, knowing that she would receive the business from many organizations for doing what she did. But I thought to myself, you know, that woman, that judge Honored her country that day, and she honored her Lord more than anybody. Her purpose for being a judge was accomplished. He, she still got the, the, the 10 year, 15 year sentence, she, which is right. But then she forgave her, and then she loved on her and gave her a Bible. I mean, it's like, would to God that that, that judge had many more cases where she could give out the sentence and then point to hope. See, that's where everything is broken. <laughs> we're easy to incarcerate people for what they've done, but then what do you do after that? You just stick them in a hole somewhere, and no love, no understanding, no no direction now. It's just, no, you've done something wrong. You're, you're judged to hell. Think about what she did, though. She said, you know what? You deserve this. You do. But God can forgive you if you confess. Think about the love of that, folks. That is... Agape love. What that Brant Jean, she took from him, her brother, who probably was a believer. I think that's pretty cool. That's a real blessing. Let's go on here in verse 16. It says, By this we know love. Notice, the, the word is a, a gnosko, it's an experiential experiential knowledge. It's not just knowledge up here, but it's something that you you know because you've been through it, something you've seen, something you've observed. By this we know love. We know agape. And how do we know agape? Because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For the brethren. Jesus said in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? He gives his life for the sheep. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, Paul would admonish them, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Walk in agape as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. He gave us himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It was pleasing in the eyes of God to see his son suffer. Why? Because it would reconcile the world to him if they choose to acknowledge him. It's there for them, isn't it? It's like, it's like a, a smorgasbord laid out in front of everybody. Everybody. The mass serial killer, the rapist, the, the drug addict, the, the, the alcoholic, the, the, the abuser, the murderer. It's all laid out in front. Of them. All you guys gotta do is come. Confess your sin and receive Christ. The, the table is there. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but maybe just cause I'm a guy. <laughs> I'm looking at that and I'm like, I'm digging in. That is the best deal going. For God so loved the world that he gave his son as a gift that whosoever would believe in him would not perish eternally but have everlasting life with him. The decision is yours. Have you made that decision today? Have you made the decision to know this king of love? God is love. He is love. Have you made the decision today to love him and to let him love you? I would encourage you today, if you have not, please come forward. You don't need me. You can pray with somebody next to you. But if you have not given your heart to Christ, you have to do it today. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. It's not an option. If you're going to be with him forever, everybody wants to go to heaven. But nobody wants to accept his terms. terms.
0: I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's Epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.